90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Oh man, I just had to use my newly acquired video editing skills to edit out me <laughs> in my video to my online class yelling at my son to get my daughter out of the way because she was standing next to me repeating what I was lecturing about. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been using Premiere Rush and it's great. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, how about you? How's you know, your bathroom? Been... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had a slight uh, fermenter explosion last weekend. That's not a euphemism. No, no. We had uh, homebrew everywhere. <laughs> uh, one of one of our uh, friends and uh, listener of the show also said. I re- replied and said, "You haven't uh, you haven't home brewed until you've had to mop your ceiling." Oh, <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's that's pretty much where we are. You're all the way now. Yeah, <laughs> all your badges of honor. When is this deliciousness going to be ready for me to partake in? Uh, one batch will be ready this weekend, and then yes. this batch will be ready in uh, I think two weeks. Okay, see you this weekend. <laughs> yeah, and you know, since we are Pangea Brewing, we're going to use all all geologic names, so Antipodal Amber. And Pahoy Hoy Porter. Yes. The Amber's my favorite already. Um, are you going to brew pale ales? Come on. I mean, come on. <laughs> I might occasionally. So, some people okay. that don't like real beer <laughs> have something to drink. And with that, I think we should introduce our, de- our guest. <laughs> I'll just sit right. here and squeak in little laughs once in a while. Yeah. So. We're super excited this week because we're going to do another career interview. Yes. Um, and so we have both of our good friends, Stacy Evans here, who is a geologist for the Oklahoma Geological Survey. And she has everyone's dream job, which is field mapping. Right, Stacy? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Never knew you'd use a computer so much. I, yes, it has been a real eye-opener. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, I interviewed you, John, to talk about somebody that did geophysics, opened their own business, and one of the things that I say in field camp a lot is, I know you're not going to be a field geologist, <laughs> but this is why you have to take field geology. But there are still some jobs in field geology, <laughs> so we're going to have a real field geologist on um, to talk about what that job looks like. So welcome to the show, Stacy. I know you're a longtime listener, because I make you listen. <laughs> I, I did an audio comment back in the early early days also so oh. i am a listener oh okay <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> so stacy can can you tell folks a little bit about sort of how you got to where you are now Why, what got you interested in geology and what made you study it in college yeah sure um i've actually always kind of liked being outside and you know had a rock collection of you know, pebbles that I picked up off of the playground, like I feel a lot of other geologists did. And uh, ended up, I moved to Wyoming for a couple of years after high school, and I took a geology class up there, just, I needed an extra class to take, and it was amazing. Uh, my teacher, uh, Charlie Love, I believe is his name, he was 
it's just incredible. He knew so much. Wyoming has a bunch of great geology and he was just so enthusiastic and passionate that it was hard to not also feel enthusiastic and passionate about geology. Uh, so then when I moved back to Oklahoma, I decided that I wanted to do geology for my major and I got my bachelor's and master's at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, after that, I worked in the oil and gas industry for a couple of different companies and then finally came to the Oklahoma Geological Survey as a petroleum geologist, but I have made that shift into my preferred area of field <laughs> geology. <laughs> right. So and, uh, you were, still more you computers were the... than I thought, but <laughs> at least a little bit of outside time. <laughs> well, and you were one of, I think now a couple of guests that we've had who had the unfortunate duty during their master's thesis of having me in your class <laughs> at one point. Uh, what? <laughs> I blocked out all of those years. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, you were Lehman said Petier. <laughs> I, I mean, hopefully you liked it. I, I, was, yeah. I was a very good set pet TA. You won an award for it, in I fact. Did, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, so I love talking about how you found geology in college, but you're already predisposed to that because it's something we talk about a lot is um, we talk about it a lot as college recruiters in terms of like how do we get people excited about it and I feel like you can only turn people who are already interested in science um what do you think about that I don't statement? know if I agree I think maybe okay. maybe with science but I do I do outreach with my current job and talk to children usually in middle middle school or grade school um about this sort of thing and I think I always stress that okay, maybe you don't like rocks and you don't like being outside, but there are so many different types of geology that, okay, you like being in a lab, maybe you want to be a geochemist. Do you like being outside? Maybe you want to do something that has more of a field component. Do you like statistics? Maybe that's, I don't know, geophysics, whatever they do. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but just, you know, geology, you think, outside and rocks, but there are so many different ways that if you're interested in it at all, I think there are a bunch of different ways that you could go with geology. So I don't know if I necessarily think that you need to be, okay. I mean, probably science a little bit. But science helps. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And then also if we have listeners who have read this or should read it, David Love was the state geologist for Wyoming and he helped make the first maps of all the Tetons and actually figure out that the Tetons were there on top of a pre-existing mountain range, the ancestral Rockies, and I don't know if your instructor was related to that's him. That's his son. His son. Yes. That is I'm pretty, so yeah. amazing to me. Yeah. Um, it's the John McPhee book, uh, Rising from the Plains, and it's this most amazing book, and that's so cool to me because you walk down the halls and you see David Love's name on the Wyoming geologic map still, and you took geology from his son like how awesome is that like was, how could you not be turned into a geologist that's what i'm saying he's just every time that i've taught i don't know if this came across lehman and said pet but <laughs> I, I just know how infectious his passion for it was and that i went in taking this geology course just going i'm a little bit of a nerd so i'll take an extra science class not thinking that this was going to end up being my whole career so like i always like to teach intro geology for non-majors because i think that was me. I was a non-major, and I got converted, and it's great. Right. Yeah, that's the importance of having a, a teacher that is passionate and can convey that passion, because who knows where you'd be. Probably 
in a ditch somewhere. Wait, no, that's what you do in geology. <laughs> right. That is uh, <laughs> true, unfortunately. That's where, you know, you get the runoff, so you get some rocks. You got to get there. there. Exactly. That's where erosion happens. <laughs> um, yeah. We actually talk about that quite a bit, actually. Where do you go find rocks? Because that's probably a problem you have, but we'll get into that. Um, like, what your role is and, like, why a geologic survey. Because both of us sort of quit our our big paint oil jobs to take big pay cuts <laughs> to come do something that we're more passionate about. Mine was getting my PhD and uh, now teaching. And you came to the geological survey right when I started teaching, which was super awesome. And um, we work, you know, in the same building and that's really nice. Um, but what, what do you, can you explain what these geological surveys are? Yeah. Um, they are basically, I don't, at least for Oklahoma's geologic survey, um, they were mandated, I think, in the Oklahoma State Constitution. Possibly we existed right before the state constitution. Mm, nice. um, and it's basically we're there to investigate the state's resources, be that oil and gas or minerals or, you know, fracking sand or glass sand or salt or all of that stuff. They just, that's kind of our duty. And so with geologic maps, um, which I, I don't know if maybe this is jumping the gun to get to this, but it does seem like, well, don't we have maps? Like I've seen a map of the whole world. Why, why am I still out here making these maps? And our technologies get better so we can more accurately know what the surface of the earth looks like. Because that is an important thing to have that accurate topographic base for your geology maps. And when we can know what the landscape looks like better, where we are better, and there are some stratigraphic changes that happen that those need to be updated on the maps. But the survey does a bunch of, a whole bunch of kind of anything geologic or geophysical related that you could think of as and long as we have the staff to do it. Yeah. So that's a problem. I know in a lot of surveys, even in like states like Colorado, where you would think, well, geology has got to be one of their number one things, right? There's so much oil and gas, there's so much mining. And it's like, I know that their survey is in tatters sometimes and they have to like rely on all these outside people to come in. Does every state have a survey? No, there are a couple that don't. I think really? there are 47. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think I knew that. And some of them, it's not called the, ge the geologic survey. Some of them are, you know, the, oh. it's basically, that's what it is, but they'll have a different. Oh, like resource sort of management right. or something like that. Oh, okay. I don't think I knew that. Hmm. So how, you know, you said, as long as you have the staff, how big is the Oklahoma geological survey? Um, I counted not that long ago, and I think including all the people that are in the building that Shannon and I work with, and the my survey also has a core repository. I think including all those people, we were at 29 employees total. I think that's bigger than Colorado. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. That just shows what oil and gas does, I guess. Well, I think uh, at this point, our largest kind of group within the survey is the seismic group. Oh, Yes. Because that has shaking a, going on here. Been a big issue for Oklahoma. <laughs> well, I mean, as you said, Shannon, it has to do with all that oil and gas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's correct. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, I guess that is that is true. Um, so I know. So OGS is in the same building. They're actually like under the same college, but that's not always true for some of these other surveys. Um, some of them are in like state buildings and things like that. I guess it just depends. Even though you're a state agency, you're closely associated with the university. I know that's the same in Iowa. That's the only one I know of. I though. think um, 
Kansas is as well. Oh, that's right. Um, mm -hmm. a, a lot of ones I think have kind of gone under the umbrella of universities for a little bit of security mm -hmm. uh, with funding being an issue for more than just the Oklahoma survey. Yeah. I think that's the reason why a lot of them have kind of been incorporated to universities. Gotcha. Hmm. So, you know, you said that you do get to spend some time outside, but you spend a lot of time on a computer. <laughs> and so you, know, you did mention that you've got all these new technologies, so you're getting a better topographic idea and you're redoing these maps. What does a, and this is, I know it's always a hard question to answer, but what's a typical day like? Well, I, more than maybe a typical day, kind of the project that I'm on now is called State Map. It is a USGS funded program. There's the federal component, a state component, and then an education or college component. And the whole task of state of State Map is to update or create new maps for the whole uh, United States. And so with that, our our cycle kind of starts August to August. Um, so in the late fall or and early uh, winter, I guess, or early spring, that's when I'll do most of my field work. We kind of wait until the temperatures are not so hot and some of the vegetation dies off. So we can actually, Shannon kind of alluded to the fact that it can be hard to find actual <laughs> rock outcrops right. in a lot of Oklahoma. <laughs> so having all these weeds grown up in front of it doesn't help <laughs> the situation. <laughs> so we try to wait for some of that to die off and try to wait for the temperatures to go down a little bit. And so we'll go out in the field um, with my paper maps and my GPS and just at, at this point, um, I've been working on one to 100,000 scale maps, which are more of the reconnaissance scale. So not really boots on the ground, walking every section, you know, every bit of the map, trying to find everything. It's a lot more area to cover. So we stick to driving all of the main roads, unless there's some really compelling reason to venture off of the roads. So I'll just go out and drive really, really slow and <laughs> just try to try to spot outcrops. And when I can, I'll, you know, mark it on my map. And after, after all of that's done, we come back and uh, looking at all the data that I've collected, fill in where I think my contacts should be. And then we start digitizing. So that's the part that uh, I've just kind of wrapped up what I was doing for that. But we come back and we'll ink all of our paper maps scan those in and then convert those to digital lines using ArcMap and that's it. I don't... <laughs> so uh... where did, okay. So I know like when I've gone on to other state surveys, like when we go on the field, so we've gone on the field a ton of times together because we both do a lot of paleomagnetism work. Um, and so like I'll go to other states geologic surveys and on their websites there'll be stuff like hey do you need this gis layer or whatever um so is that a part of the digitizing process you're not just digitizing it for yourself but is all this stuff made like public because some yes. states have really good databases of these like gis layers and some states have no databases yeah um what we do now with all of the maps that we produce through State Map is uh, they're available for free to download from our website. You can e get either a PDF or a whole geo database that you can then upload into ArcMap and pull up everything. So you'll have all the separate layers. You can basically, you know, set the attributes and reprint off 
a paper map. That's exactly what our PDF looks like. So oh, we okay. do make both the databases and a PDF available. Okay. Uh, a little bit more of stuff that uh, I am getting into with on the computer side, I'm attending this virtual meeting this week called the Digital Mapping Techniques. It's again through USGS and it's focused on the, a new uh, digital schema that USGS has come up with for these maps, trying to, mm-hmm. even though every state is different and every survey has different needs, they're trying to come up with a schema that internally everybody can say, I know where everything is on every map because it's all the same and I can go to any state and get their database and it's going to be pretty similar. So that is a big new thing for me and I think a still fairly new and evolving thing for all surveys that are having to use this schema. So every master student 20 years from now won't know our struggles. Is that the point? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that hopefully, makes... hopefully. Oh, hopefully. That's what you mean. <laughs> no, there'll be a there'll be a different program that they'll have to use and learn. So good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I remember, like, I think it was Indiana has the best one. I'm like, there are no rocks here. Is that why this is so good? <laughs> like, <laughs> why is Indiana leading the way? Because I have a friend who went to school there, and he said they literally would map float because it was the only thing they could find. So just, like, a rock someone had dug up, and that's as good as you could get. <laughs> I have definitely marked float on my maps when I was out training oh. right before I started doing with this with my senior geologist. There was a float of limestone and it's like well we're looking for a limestone at the base of this formation and it's like well there's a chunk sitting on the side of the road this is probably the contact and it's like ah okay it's not an exact I don't know. science <laughs> yeah. it's a, i'll mark this and then it'll be around here somewhere i guess oh my gosh i love it see it actually is not an exact science that's the best you can do right sometimes i mean it's not like we live in arizona Brian Goatee, I'm talking to you from the Arizona survey (laughs) where there's no vegetation to get in the way of your rocks. Yeah, it's actually doing this job at the survey has been so weird because I did most of my other field mapping in Colorado, in mountains that you could see (laughs) with formations that were very different from each other. And I was like, oh, I'm really good at field mapping. I can totally do this as a job. And then I got this job. I'm like, uh, all of our rocks are red and they're all hidden. So this is hard. <laughs> I love it when I get, um, I'll get texts from you in the field and you'll like send two different pictures of these shales and you're like, these are two different formations. They look exactly the same. One is reddish orange um, and the other one's orangish red. Yeah, and that's for real. Like, that's a real thing. So if you're detail oriented, would you say this is an excellent career for you? Yes. And I think I've, I've actually thought that since I've been doing these, uh, I, I always get it backwards. If it's smaller scale or bigger scale, is one to a hundred thousand? Is a smaller scale? No, it's a well, mm. it's a larger scale map. So okay. one to ten thousand is more a detailed. Smaller scale. It confuses me. Every yeah, I don't time. use the word smaller and larger scale. Just more detailed or less detailed. That's where you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> so right, because numerical and the conceptual they, uh, go different ways. There. Yes, correct, <laughs> exactly. Smaller scale in number, but hmm, yeah. So doing these less maps. detailed maps. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think it would be more helpful to do the one to twenty-four thousand scale maps, so that I can really dig in and find every yeah. outcrop that I can, and then I go, okay, I'm really getting a good idea for what this formation looks now versus this one. Yes, but I'm just thrown into this reconnaissance scale and not getting that detail makes it more difficult, I think. 
it's so like bringing that up because this is really interesting to me about your job because it's like the best and worst of being a field mapper but also being an academic because state map is a grant that you have to write to get funds for every year it's not guaranteed right right and so i know that you got thrown into this and this is what you have to focus on is that reconnaissance map because there's different like time periods for these different projects in your right. grant right yeah so you have to do all the grant writing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that that is another kind of part of my yearly cycle is I've taken over SPI for the state map project now. And so this last year was my first time writing the proposal and coming up with the budget and all of that. And that is another part that I was like, oh, this is not in the field. I don't, I don't know if this is what I signed up for. But. Exactly. And you have to run but, it through like our university's grant people yeah. and all this and yeah who this year they lost a lot of people working for them, so it was ridiculously hard to get anything through on time. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a, that's, and it, your job is an interesting mix of like professor stuff and also like, you know, research geologist yes. stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you said that this was not exactly what you expected coming in. You didn't expect <laughs> to be doing this technology. You didn't expect to be doing the, the grant writing. Um, what what characteristics do you think would prepare somebody for working at a state survey? Like when they're they're working through their undergraduate curriculum, if they think a state survey is somewhere they might want to go, what are things they should be focusing on to have a skill set that would make them really, really attractive to being hired by a state survey? Well, that's a hard question to answer because, I mean, I don't know what other surveys are looking for. And again, with us, it when we've had kind of group meetings before when we have had an open space where we could hire somebody and it's like well what who should we hire and it's somebody's like well obviously another geophysicist and somebody's like well maybe we need another hydrogeologist and they're like we could use another field mapper and it's like we also are a big oil and gas state so maybe we need another oil and gas person so i don't know i don't know if there is one specific thing i like I feel like we have to deal with a little bit less red tape maybe than the professors like Shannon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see where that's a thing. Yeah, even though you're a state agency, so it's different red tape. Yeah. It's like pink tape. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I guess it, that's it, not it's reddish-orange tape. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, what I find is, so that's not to usurp your question because it's a good question but like tell tell people like who the geologists are because that is actually really interesting so in a department you might have like there's a whole oh you can't swing a dead cat in our department without hitting the sedimentologist right we're a soft rock school it's what we do right so there's a lot of sedimentologists but the state survey is very interesting too because you guys have so many different people because you have this hydrologist you have a hazard geologist right mm -hmm. And like well, and that's another thing though is that we uh, we have lost our minerals geologist and haven't been able to replace that person. Did you and find? Did you did you find him? Or? I don't think that we were <laughs> if you lost oh. him. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to leave. <laughs> uh, so okay, so yeah, minerals geologist. Yes. Um, oh. So we weren't able to replace our minerals geologist, and that is a that's a big concern. We do have a lot of. Uh, companies that do gravel for roads and all sorts of things. So that is one area where even we are like, oh, we still need more types of geologists. So it's a weird thing of 
maybe, you know, maybe if you're very specialized, you can get in with a survey, but it just has to be the timing that they need your specialization. Yeah. So maybe being broader, because I have, I have heard from people that have worked in the survey in the past that there can be a lot of, you know, I get questions from the public a lot that are just all over the board. So (laughs) kind of being a jack of all trades is handy too, because when you do have a limited staff, but you still have to work for the whole state of Oklahoma, you have to be able to deal with whatever questions you get. Yeah, you get some weird questions. I get a lot of, is this a meteorite? That's what our department <laughs> And I always say, a it's a meteor wrong. <laughs> How do you guys like that pun? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, I, it, and you can't even say that they don't hire people straight out of school because you had a job beforehand, mm-hmm. but... We also know people who have gone straight from their PhDs to work for the survey. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's serendipity, but. It well, kind and this of is. is also, you know, kind of only looking at one survey. That's true. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to get to that point, you know, speaking of Indiana, I, there's a lot of other surveys where they'll have their whole deliverable for one year is a quarter of a seven and a half degree map. And it's dissecting the 12 different layers of quaternary deposits from glaciers. Oh, my gosh. And, like, that is a thing I don't even know about. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll just stay down here with my little bit of mountains oh. and a lot of sedimentary rocks that I can't find. <laughs> oh, man. Gosh, that's so true. Um, so I feel like, um, and I keep telling my students this, too, that hazards geology is a big thing, and I know that's a big thing because – there's so many more people and building stuff. And I know that like a lot of the Colorado survey focuses on, you know, Colorado's population is exploding because of pot. And so all these people are building on these glacial and quaternary deposits. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like hydrology is a good thing and quaternary geology is a good thing, which like you said, it's not something we do because we don't, I mean, there's quaternary geology here, but not like right up there. Right. Well, and I mentioned up there, but, um, also on the coasts oh, where yeah. mm-hmm. people are getting beach deposits over beach deposits over beach deposits. And then put a house on top of it. Right. Need to know where a landslide's going to happen. Hmm. Um, hazards is very interesting to me too, because there are so many different types of hazards that's, that and that's so you're weird. like, you can focus on, you know, sinkholes and karsting, which is super interesting mm. or a liquefaction caused by just, a lot of water or, you know, in this state, shaking from earthquakes. And you have a really cool karst deposit out in Oklahoma that you got to go look at, right? Didn't Wait. at um at Natural Falls State Park or where was it? The cave that you guys went and looked at and it was a tiny hole in the ground, but Oh. It was <laughs> If yeah. you want to tell people about some of the things that like you get called to do, I think that's a cool story. Uh yeah, we've we got a call from a state park in northeastern Oklahoma where there are a lot of limestone and chert beds and so you get a lot of karsting in that and there's a lot there are a lot of waterfalls because that also erodes the rocks and you get a waterfall and so we got a call about a sinkhole that was out there and they were worried about it and it'd been open for a while and steam was coming out of it on cold mornings and we're like well if it's the state park we need to go check this out and we brought a big measuring tape and all this stuff when we got out there and it was maybe the size of a ping pong ball. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I was hoping to see how deep this went, but I don't know. 
can't really tell anything about it. So. Uh, uh, uh. I'm like, I guess it's stable. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just jump up and down a few yeah. times. <laughs> that's, uh, that's really... That, that was really funny to me because you were really excited and then I was and then that happened. <laughs> I was like there's the hell mouth has opened up in Oklahoma and I'm like oh maybe not <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's pretty good um did you so what are some of the technologies that you need for your job like, well computer skills a lot uh it's becoming more ArcMap and ArcGIS things are becoming more important. I use some Corel Draw. Wow, is that still a thing? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I use it. <laughs> I used to use Corel Draw a lot, but I just use Adobe now. Sorry, go ahead. Um, and that's, I mean, it's all the same thing. Mostly, that's a kind of a small cleaning up our scans of our paper maps in oh, Corel okay. and then bringing it into ArcMap. And so we do most of it in ArcMap. I don't know. I think a lot of the other surveys use that now just because having to use this new schema, it's all their tools and scripts all set to use in oh. ArcMap. So I assume a lot of other people are using that. Gotcha. You don't do any digital mapping. No, I've experimented with it a little bit and not really found a product that was easy enough for me to use on the get-go that did the things I wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. So then I kind of, the balance between how much time do I put into figuring out one of these digital mapping techniques to see if I like it, let alone comparing it to other ones. Versus just going out and doing it on paper and getting it done. Right. Yeah. Especially with your reconnaissance map, probably. Yeah. That's probably the easier thing. A lot of things that I argue with students about when I talk about, because I know a lot of mappers that work for the survey or also that work for USGS or that are um, retired and they get tapped by surveys to do mapping. And when we go out and I give the students... A, you know, a section that we're going to map. We're going to map a section, maybe a section and a half. So that's a little over square mile, right? And I say, this is the kind of stuff, you know, people do these maps in less than a day, and that's, like, all the time they get because you have these deadlines, right? Mm -hmm. And they never believe me. But, I mean, that's true, right? You don't have all day to go out there and argue about stuff or to go back to the same place, Well, right? that's especially with state map. It's on a grant, we have to, I mean, we get to say, well, we're starting in August, but that means our deliverables are due July 31 of the next year. <laughs> and I think maybe you can ask for an extension, but uh, you yeah. pro probably just try to get your stuff on in on that time that you said. So that's part of the thing is you do the best that you can and maybe that's a reason that we're updating these things because that's how it's always been done in the past. So... I find that very interesting because today at virtual field camp, you know, we have this 70 spots they have to map at Great, or they have to visit at Great Creek. Mm -hmm. And the students were like, yeah, okay. And then when we had our evening check-in at four o'clock, they were like, that's a lot. And we're like, well, you're not doing it on foot, you know, like <laughs> we're giving you the same amount of time you would have on foot to do. But I mean, this is also, and I'm telling them this, this is also a skill that they need too, because a lot of this mapping used to be done on aerial photos. And I imagine you use satellite data quite a bit too, right? I, a little bit. 
I haven't really used it as much, and maybe it's, again, more of the yeah. reconnaissance stuff. There have been some times where if I, I'm on an interstate or a highway and I'm going fast and I can't stop, or I'll kind of make a note on my map and be like, I think I saw an outcrop, but it was kind of far away, so oh, go okay. check that out on Air Photos. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I have been taught using Air Photos, but yeah. we just don't really actually... I haven't done actually it done it oh, that much in interesting. in this job. That is an interesting thing. Well, I hope my students don't listen to this. <laughs> They're super helpful, though. Well, in, especially in Colorado, where you can see the rocks. Yes, exactly. You, you look at an air photo, and you're like, well, there's another field. Yeah, <laughs> can't do this in Arkansas, either. <laughs> no. I, you know, one of the when I was in grad school, one of the first things they did was have us like map a little tiny section. Uh, is it? a bonding exercise for the incoming grad <laughs> students. <laughs> and uh, I never mapped somewhere like Pennsylvania where oh, I watched one of the professors lay down and a hold of Brunton squinting to like try to cite what the dip of this little piece of rock sticking up out of the center of the trail was because that's about the only rock you could find. It's the worst. Uh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I took my first or my second field class to Hot Springs, Arkansas because I was like, this is an interesting, this is an interesting, you know, geochemical thing. It's an interesting structural thing right here in this awesome board of vision fold and thrust belt. I was like, you couldn't see anything. They walked around for like three hours. They're like, we found these three rocks. <laughs> this is all we got. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's somebody's job, well, right? Well, <laughs> and I actually, this uh, digital mapping technique, techniques meeting that's happening this week, I attended in person a couple of years ago, and somebody gave a presentation in, um, I think he maybe worked for West Virginia. I'm not 100% mm -hmm. sure. But somewhere where they had mountains, and they also had a lot of vegetation. And he showed his technique of using... Um, I think digital elevation models and then overlaying it in Google earth and having the features actually pop up and then having the hill shade. And it was incredible. He was able to highlight these slumps on hillsides that were completely invisible otherwise when you were standing wow. right in front of him. So we use, and it's like you're, used... you know, literally you cannot see the slumps for oh, the trees. So that is, we used LIDAR and Hillshade last yeah. week. We did a mapping, a hazards mapping exercise in Yosemite using Google earth. And it was that same thing. Cause it's like, yeah, look at this with just the sat. Wait, where is it in the satellite? Right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's really, yeah. So you got to put all these tools together to do this field, mapping, which I so. think is kind of a, a neat part of, that is a thing that I like. I get frustrated with it, so I act like I don't like it. But actually being able to go, okay, how can I figure this out? I'm mad that I have to figure it out. But okay, now that, now that I have to, what are the different <laughs> tools that I can use to do it? And then when it works and you figure it out, that's... That's where really, I'm, really satisfying. That's, that's where I'm riding with all these virtual field trips right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, right. Oh, yeah. My months of complaining about it. Now I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what are, I mean, you've got a lot of data sources that you can pull from things like satellite data that you said you don't use that a lot. Uh, and the... Geological Survey also operates some instruments as well. So what are some of the resources that are available to you and what are the things that you all operate? Um, do we operate? I mean, things? she's just a field mapper, man. <laughs> now, are you talking about I like mean, the seismic network or Right, stuff? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we don't care. I, I mean, I don't really <laughs> know a lot of the details 
about. I mean, we have a seismic network. Um, I think that the survey does work with USGS recently on their seismic network as well. Um, I mean, you guys have a tech that even takes care of it, right? That's probably not a job that exists at a lot of surveys. Yeah, probably. So oh, wow, yeah. And, yeah, berries, make sure cows don't eat stuff and all that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's kind of weird. I guess I personally don't have a lot of equipment. I have an old non-working microscope <laughs> in my lab. Um, the Some don't of the petroleum know. guys have microscopes but we and sh- other things but i don't really we share the sem it's on, right like the hallway where a lot of like where your lab is at um so that's probably the nice thing about being that that is to, to me i think yeah. it's very great is that having that opportunity to, to collaborate and to kind of share these resources where maybe we don't have to buy our own sem because there's another one or two in the building that we can use. Yeah. And I know uh, one of our employees actually ran the XRF mm-hmm. lab yep. Yep. for the School of Geosciences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, but yeah. You probably know more about the seismic network, though, Lehman. <laughs> yeah, you probably do. <laughs> well, no, I was just I was just curious, like, you know, what, what other things I think, do you uh, that have that of... you can look at? But... That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have... Uh, some subscriptions to services that provide uh, like well information. So pulling in okay, yeah. th- that would that was what I used a lot more when I was doing petroleum geology. Was using a different program to do more subsurface stuff. But when we do uh, the one to twenty four thousand scale maps, we do have some cross sections usually in those. So trying to pull in water well data and oil and gas well data to get tops to correlate with that. Right. Um, I think probably one of our biggest resources, though, would be OPIC, which is where we house all of our core. And I don't remember off the top of my head, but we have a lot of core. (laughs) A lot, a lot of core. And it's a great resource that all sorts of people use. Academics use, industry uses. What is the Oklahoma Petroleum Information Center? Center, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I didn't know I needed to do research about my own... (laughs) job before this so that's that's a great thing so do you use the core a decent amount or i don't but i always am kind of thinking on ways that we could do more stuff especially you know i've only been involved in state map for three years i guess and only taken over this pi role in the last year but i just think you know we make these maps and they're great but like, I, I want to say, okay, so we've got the map, but now we're going to also use that map and look at these cores and tie it into something new. I'm always kind of trying to think of stuff like that that we can use because it is so great. It's a it's a pretty fancy, I mean, I'm not going to say fancy facility, but I mean, it's a pretty impressive right. amount of core. Like, those, it's a huge warehouse. Um, and so... That's something we use it all the time. The college uses mm-hmm. it all the time. Like we lay out core for classes or I know I have tons of master students use core out there too, um, which is really great. I was going to ask you sort of along those same lines, when you started, were you surprised at how many like public inquiries for stuff that you get? Because I mean, you don't just get like meteorite or wrongs, but people like 
getting letters from oil and gas companies or something about their minerals and everything. You get those too, right? I do. I used to get those a lot more of, hey, can you tell me about wells that produce from this formation in this county? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. hey, an oil and gas company wants to buy my mineral rights. Can you tell me anything about that? And some things we can, some things uh, fall a little bit out of the scope of what we should provide as, you know, I'm not going to go work up a whole prospect for someone that's <laughs> more of a consulting job, I would say. But yeah, I, I was kind of surprised, and especially as then some of the older geologists have retired. So they've retired. I still feel pretty new, but now I've been there longer than other people. So then I get a lot more questions that I'm like, I still don't know how to tell a meteorite. How, why am I getting these questions? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that SCM. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, Oklahoma is one of those places where because of the natural resources and because there are so many people that do farm and deal with the land every day, there are a lot of folks that are very in tune with what's going on and have a lot of questions. Yes, (laughs) I would agree with that. Uh, I think we're definitely, um, for whatever people think about Oklahoma, we're definitely a state that geology is super prominent and it isn't just oil and gas you know i mean now even more so with all the earthquakes too but yeah i mean we have a lot of mineral resources as well so we are a land of yeah tiger natives well i even had um someone several years ago ask me you know we're farmers out in western oklahoma what do you what do you think is going to happen with the weather and being the drought and being able to sustain farming and i was like oh that's desertification is 100% <laughs> yeah. happening out there. Yeah. Um, like I would move, sir, I guess. <laughs> that was a woman, Shannon. Oh, sorry. Ma'am, I would move. <laughs> because, yeah, I, that's a, that is interesting. Yeah, we're very much at the crossroads of, if you want to be a geoscientist, come to Oklahoma, essentially, I think, mm-hmm. is the is the takeaway there. <laughs> right, John? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, any any natural science, geoscience, meteorology, any, any natural science, Oklahoma is a big place. <laughs> Wow. That's all that's all we care about. <laughs> I mean, I I'm sure there's good biology too. I mean there's probably good biology, but I doubt there's good uh herrings here. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, the fishing might not be so good, uh, which is why we had to have that terrible transition into this week's Fun Paper Friday. Um, I will say the fishing is amazing, just not the herring fishing. <laughs> we need to get that. That's definitely a hate mail generating comment. <laughs> oh, yes. I did not say that. That was Shannon. <laughs> you can uh, send your uh, your questions about the fishing in Oklahoma to Stacey Evans, yeah. the Oklahoma Geological Survey. That is correct. I'll have as good of an answer about that as about meteorites. So. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm really good at answering meteorite questions. <laughs> I thought this paper was a blast. <laughs> I could barely contain myself. <laughs> yeah, so biology letters, Pacific and Atlantic herring produce burst pulse sounds by Wilson et al. Um, yeah, so that sounds real boring, right? <laughs> Till you read like the third uh, sentence of the, the abstract. Um, so we're talking about fish. We're talking about herring, and it says Pacific herring produce distinctive bursts of pulses, termed fast, repetitive tick sounds, or 
FRT sounds. <laughs> Doesn't take a 12-year-old boy to put that one together. Right. <laughs> I actually, it, this was one of my notes that I forgot to bring with me. I love it so much when scientists take the time to come up with an acronym that is hilarious, but also still supports their thing. Oh, I love it. It makes me so jealous. It's perfect. And this FRT one is top tier. Oh, man. And bonus points when you can pronounce it. So instead of having to say FRT, we can just say fart. Yes. I thought I'd let you do the honors as the closer to 13-year-old boy in the room. So, I, I mean, um, if powers of 13, yeah, okay. So, uh, we, uh, I have to tell this 20-second story of my wife who sings uh, was in a uh, choral uh, summer recital uh, one year at Penn State. And they had a professor who was was very English that was directing this. And he introduces this song and t- describes everything it's going to talk about in this song. And then goes, and it's one of the only songs which I know of that has the word fart in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it doesn't even sound like dirty when you say it in an English accent. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, that's lovely. Well, what song was it? <laughs> like, I yeah. don't remember. Why are we I just not remember that in the it was the fart song. <laughs> exactly, the fart. That's all anyone remembers it as. <laughs> so these these herring, they, they, apparently they make all kinds of sounds, and we're still not totally sure how they do it. And one of the main investigators of herring sounds has the last name of Fish. I put that in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. I love it. And he thought, a great acronym and someone named fish on this paper exactly so good he thought what else am i gonna do <laughs> um i thought that was really interesting because it said that they first studied herring because they had all these sound receptors so they were obviously hearing <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> yeah you're welcome <laughs> and so then they're like oh well maybe they're making sounds too and maybe that's why they have to hear which is what prompted, I'm guessing, the study to listen to them and their little farts. <laughs> My, did you guys look at the appendix notes? I could, it would never load for me. I couldn't get the well. One of them is a tiny GIF showing little fart bubbles coming out of a little oh, fishes man. behind. <laughs> That's amazing. So you they really went. They load. really went all the way with this. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get it to load either. Oh, okay, we're gonna have to watch this. Um, I am. I am working on it as we speak. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I thought this would tick most of your boxes, John, because it's got, it, well, he alluded to the fart bubble video in here. So it was the video. It's got some spectrograms. It's real yeah. science, yeah, guys. Yeah, exactly. It is. and It you really know, is. I, <laughs> I, I always go to the methods, right? And it's like, okay, well, how do you listen to fish fart? Well, you probably put a hydrophone in a tank. Yeah. And so that's what they did. Mm-hmm. And then they said, well, do they fart because they've come up and got air for their for their swim bladder? So they they then put a screen just under the surface of the water so the fish could never surface. Which I and, thought was cruel, but I guess not. Obviously, they're fish. <laughs> right. I mean, They do like it in the water, so. <laughs> they, they do breathe there. So, yeah, yeah they... Exactly. Uh, <laughs> 
but apparently over time, you know, not immediately, uh, but over the course of a day or so, the fish that were held where they couldn't surface did have fewer farts. <laughs> well, yeah, that. you gotta have air to make farts. <laughs> or tacos, I don't know. <laughs> Um, and, like, I was actually kind of disappointed in the amount of the fast, or whatever it is, the amount of fast repetitive ticks that they made, um, because <laughs> it's not very many, and so the other weird thing about this was they only make it at night. Right, and it I checks out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't I totally think, get that either, but. Well, they said, you know, the part, because I was thinking ahead and I was wondering well it's at night when they're going they go more towards the surface and kind of form uh schools shoals. or shoals thank you shoals um and so I was thinking oh is that a buoyancy thing like divers throwing off weights to rise to the surface um but then they mention in it that they do it in these tiny tanks mm-hmm. so maybe think- it was just habit or I will say, now this is where my children have served me extremely well, because both of them are ridiculously obsessed with these this ocean show called The Octonauts, and it's made my son, who's too old to watch it, wants to be a marine biologist because of this show. And so we've watched a lot of, um, a lot of National Geographic videos. So Herring School, and I just read this book about salt, which actually talks almost as much about herring as it talks about salt <laughs> um, because that's the first fish that they heard it was good. used with that salt. Book. It is real good. Um, <laughs> and so herring swim really close together and they school really close together and they all move in these ridiculous moment, like movements together that they don't understand how they do it. But then they do these weird shoaling things at night. And so they think that um, it's visual is them schooling during the daytime and then at night, they still want to be near each other because herring are kind of small and so they don't want to get picked off. And they want to be near each other, but they also spread out at night. And so they can't see each other. So they fart to let each other know where they are, which is backed up by this yeah. social experiment that they did where if they put one fish in a tank and listen to him for a couple of nights, he doesn't fart at all. Five fishes fart a little bit and then 30 fishes fart a whole lot. <laughs> Which seems backwards. I would expect more farts when you're alone. <laughs> I think we need to replicate this with other species. Oh. Pass. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, that was real good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a... Uh, and the other thing they point out, which is really crazy, is these are... and I, I don't know how this compares to, say, a human, but these are broadband farts. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the audio clip of it too. Oh, so because I was like, yeah, it is really tiny. But when they played it, I was like, oh yeah, I mean that's it's what it sounds like. Oh, I've heard similar. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. This last part, like, I wish they maybe they did like follow up on this because I thought it was interesting where they said, are these farts within the hearing capabilities of predators? And I guess that's a really big thing that hasn't been studied a lot, but they are within the hearing capabilities of the herring, which are, they said, are just wider than most fish's hearing capabilities. So are they farting for each other? <laughs> and it turns out they don't fart to alert each other to, like, predators 
because they put like fake shark smell in and they didn't fart anymore when that was there. It's probably just to see where their buddies are. Which I thought was neat. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's super cool. Like just be like, oh yeah, I'm still within the shoal even though I can't see anybody. Yeah. It's interesting. And herring, I guess, this was the most interesting part out of that salt book. Herring don't return to the same places. So they're actually really hard to study because they're hard to find. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. So it's like your herring fishing ground where you caught herring last year isn't where they're going to be like this next year. And so there was a lot of enigmatic things in here. I thought about the herring and I think it might be related to that is that just they're hard to find in nature, even though we eat a bunch of them. So hmm. I thought right, it was. In... Oh, go ahead. John. Oh, no, I was going to say I did uh, just now get the, the supplemental material up and I'll try to put a link in the show notes. But it looks like the link in the paper is broken. But if you yes. go to the Royal Society, I just it works. googled the title and names. Fish for uh, Royal Society. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so I will. Uh, while you guys continue discussing, I will try to uh, grab the wave file and we'll play it so we can all hear it. Oh, oh, that's really exciting. Um. <laughs> so I was wondering in it because they say that this is in both Pacific and Atlantic herrings, which have different scientific names. I don't know a ton about herrings. So they mentioned that. So that's all the herrings are doing this. And they talked about the predators, that it's probably out of the range for fish predators, but within the range for mammal Mammal predators. predators. Mm -hmm. But if we have the Pacific and the Atlantic herring doing this, when did this evolve? Like how long ago were these been doing farts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ages ago, obviously. Wow, that's a really interesting thought. Because like dolphins eat herrings, right? I would, yeah, they I get, like they, they sneak into the, the they make school the little cyclone and, yeah. and pick them off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine seals probably do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wow, that's um, that's really interesting. So maybe it is doo doo. And it said they don't really understand what they do when they shoal at night either, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, how do we not? How do we not know what All this of fish underwater does? Is crazy. Yeah, it really is. It freaks me out. I really hope my son actually does become a marine biologist because that would be that's a large cool. gap in my knowledge that that uh, he could uh, fill in. So. Okay, so I think I've got it. We'll see if we can hear it. <laughs> so there you go. It's definitely a part. <laughs> get my kids in here now and we're gonna play that like yeah. 20 times <laughs> it's my new text message notification <laughs> oh my god is that a fart it's a herring <laughs> dispelling gas from his anal yeah sack. it's not a fart it's just gas being expelled from a fish's anus or anal ducts thank you very much um so we should say too for completeness they did a lot of food associated fart related recording in here too to see if it is because they don't know where it comes from they don't know where the air like where it connects, the swim batter connects to the anus. Something they didn't know. I thought that was interesting too. I thought the whole thing was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, this was an Ig Nobel, I should say. Um, so everyone thought this was really interesting. <laughs> From uh, two thousand and three is when it received the awards. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if uh, you have recordings of. <laughs> 
<laughs> don't know if we want to do this one, but if you have recordings of any uh, fast, repetitive tick sounds, complete with spectral analysis. Oh, my gosh. Shannon, how can they send those in? Uh, they can send those to your personal email, John. <laughs> oh, you can send it to show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Oh, please, please put it on twitter uh, we're at don't panic geo <laughs> twitter needs this right now uh john is at geo underscore lehman i'm at shannon doolin um and lots of people are coming back to the slack channel john so you need to get in there and uh we can listen to all of our fast repetitive tick <laughs> recordings on our slack channel we're in the software underground the don't panic channel um to keep to keep us going with these fart papers, you can support us at Patreon. Thank you for our Patreon supporters now. Uh, if you would like to do that, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And Stacy, thanks for joining us on the show. It's yes. been a blast. Thank you, guys. <laughs> and until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.